This is the Less Doing Podcast with your host, Ari Mysel. Learn how to optimize, automate, and outsource and be more effective at everything. Welcome to The Art of Less Doing. This is Ari Mizell. I have a lot to go over today. I've been saving up some notes in my Evernote about things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, the first one is about podcasts. So, obviously, it goes without saying that I'm <clears throat> always trying to optimize everything that I do, uh, sometimes ad nauseum, and a lot of the times I justify it because I feel like I'm doing this so that other people might not have to go through the minutia of figuring these things out. At least that's how I justify it to myself. I may just have some sort of compulsion, but that's another story. So optimizing with podcasts. A long time ago, or a long time ago, uh, a while ago when I had my uh, second iPhone, I think, I decided that my limit <clears throat> was going to be one screen. So I would never have more apps than I could fit on the first home screen. I didn't want to have to be scrolling through lots and lots of pages. And uh, plus, I felt that the functionalities that I wanted to achieve could be done with uh, you know, a, a smaller number of things. And if it wasn't that an app that could fit on the home screen, then I would have to do it as a bookmark in my uh, mobile explorer, and so on and so forth. And then in the more recent operating systems where you could do folders, that became even more doable. So I had dozens of folders on, or, you know, over a dozen folders on my homepage. So something like a hundred something apps on my homepage, which was also a little excessive, to be honest. Where's all this going? So I'm back to having just the one main screen uh, of apps. And it's the bare minimum, basically, of what I need on a daily basis. But most importantly is that I, I can look at my home screen and basically access anything that I need with, you know, half a second without having to look or, or see anything uh, in a folder. One of the ways I was able to do that was through podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts more and more lately. Uh, when I take my son for a walk or when my hands are full for some other reason, there's lots of opportunities, even if it's for five or ten minutes, to listen to podcasts. And I, I definitely have some favorites, but I wanted to talk sort of generally about how I can use podcasts to get rid of certain apps. So one of the things is uh, SoundGecko, which I, I've talked about before. SoundGecko makes it so that you can forward an article from uh, a blog or a website, and SoundGecko will convert, convert into spoken text. And it's pretty natural, and it's really a great way. If you don't have the attention span to read long articles, then you can use SoundGecko to listen to them as you go. And these are the articles that you want to read. It's not just a selection or a curated choice of them, although they do provide that as well. It's the ones that you haven't had the time to get to, but you really want to. You, have, you can download the SoundGecko app, which I had before, but now SoundGecko will create your own custom podcast that is just of the articles that you have forwarded to it. So you can add the SoundGecko podcast to your podcast app and then eliminate the app altogether, and it streamlines, streamlines everything. In addition, there's a really cool uh, yoga session 
podcast. It's called 20 Minute Yoga Sessions. And I used to have this, you know, really cool uh, yoga app, which I think was called uh, Yoga HD. But I wasn't using it that often. And, you know, after you use it a few times, there really isn't much variety to it. So the 20 Minute Yoga Sessions from yogadownload.com is a podcast, and it walks you through a relatively quick yoga session, which is really wonderful, and it's enabled me to do it a lot more. Uh, I also used to have a nature sound uh, app so that I could sort of just, you know, do a quick meditation or a calming exercise, and now I have the Santa Clara Nature Sounds podcast, which has rain and crickets and all sorts of cool things. So I basically was trying to find ways that I could get rid of apps, and the podcast method works really well because it also automatically tells you when there's new ones to listen to. So optimizing with podcasts. I was listening to uh, Dave Asprey's Bulletproof podcast, still on podcast, I guess, uh, podcast the other day, and he was talking to Dan John about a lot of different things. It was a really interesting podcast, but one of the things that I liked that they were talking about was how we're not hunters anymore technically, but we can still create a hunt for food in some ways through our work. Uh, because generally speaking, psychologically speaking, if we hold off on things, if you abstain from certain things for a certain amount of time, eventually they taste sweeter or they feel warmer or they make you happier, even though it's the exact same thing. You just didn't wait for it. Something about putting off that uh, pleasure or gratification. So this idea that we can hunt for food, for instance, by saying, I need to write 10 pages today, and I cannot eat until I write those 10 pages. Now, that may sound like something kind of extreme, but so many hormones are released when, you're, uh, when you eat, and it can be a distraction in itself, and sometimes you eat a big meal and you want to just take a nap right after. It's not exactly the most productive thing, necessarily. Uh, plus, you have to think about what you want to eat and maybe prepare it. But there are ways to do that, obviously, in a more optimized way. But generally speaking, eating is not a particularly productive thing. Obviously, you know, it nourishes our body and stuff, but as far as getting work done. So if you tell yourself, I can't, I can't eat until I do this, it sort of enacts that ancient need in ourselves to hunt for food. And sometimes you weren't successful. And that's why nowadays some people recommend intermittent fasting, where you skip a meal entirely. Because it's, it is a natural thing, apparently, to kind of regulate insulin responses and, and just general desire to complete tasks. So it's something to think about, something to sort of frame for yourself. I can't eat until I make my catch. And your catch can kind of be whatever you want it to be. I've been experimenting over the last few weeks with uh, xylitol spray. Now, if anybody is not familiar with xylitol, xylitol is a sugar alcohol. So it's a it's a sugar. It's it, it tastes sweet on the tongue, but it's very difficult for our bodies to digest completely and quickly. So we don't digest it fully, and we digest it very slowly. So it's kind of an ideal sweetener uh, for lots of people, whether you're diabetic or not, uh, very low calories per gram. The only downside is that being a sugar alcohol and being difficult to digest, if you eat too much of it, it can actually have a laxative effect. But generally speaking, that shouldn't be an issue unless you're really piling it on. 
and you don't want to be piling on any sort of sweetener, generally speaking. So uh, what they found, which is really cool with xylitol, is that in the mouth and the nasal cavities and the eustachian tubes, it inhibits bacterial growth. So apparently uh, candy and gum that is that uses xylitol as a sweetener, it tends to be dentist approved uh, because it will not harbor bacteria in your mouth and it cannot cause decay. So the reason I've been using it is uh, three or four years ago, I had surgery on my nose to fix a deviated septum. So the septum is the kind of cartilage in the middle of your nose that separates the, the divides the two nasal passages and uh, it's pretty common to have a deviation whether you've banged it up at some point or some allergies over time chronic issues and the deviation can cause one side to be partially closed off and make it hard to breathe and if that's hard to breathe then you you know you're you have more of a chance of having sleep apnea and all sorts of other disorders I was a boxer for for five years and got hit in the face a lot. So my septum was not deviated. My septum septum was flared. So it actually was blocking off of both sides of my nose. And for years, I had trouble breathing, and I was a very, very bad snorer. And I never wanted to kind of do anything about it. But I, I met a doctor that I liked and decided to do the surgery. And it was it was very straightforward, and it went off like a dream. And uh, he corrected my septum. In addition, while he was doing the surgery, he also... Uh, what they call coblating my turbinates and the turbinates are sort of like in, they're in your sinuses base or around your sinus area and they have to do with uh, sort of the flow of your nasal passages if it were so we shrunk those down as well so for a long time it was like it was the first, I felt like it was the first time in my life that I could really breathe and it was amazing but as expected over time the turbinates started to swell up again and block the nasal passage a bit. Now, it was nothing like before because the septum is still good and fixed, but the turbinates have been swelling up. And the sort of standard medical solution to that is to take a nasal spray every day that will sort of shrink down the capillaries. So something like Afrin, although you're not supposed to take Afrin for too long, uh, but like Nasonex or Claritin spray, that kind of thing. And when I use them, you know, they, they kind of burn in the back of your throat. They make me feel a little hazy. So I don't really like to use those kinds of things long term. So I've been looking for a more long term solution. And it turns out that you can use xylitol spray. So the one I got is, uh, I got it right off Amazon. And it's called X Clear. And it's basically xylitol and uh, saline. And you spray it in your nose, and it tastes like sugar in the back of your throat. It's really not unpleasant at all. It keeps them moisturized, and it also inhibits any bacterial growth. So it really does help to stop inflammation of those turbinates. And I've been breathing great since I've been using that xylitol spray. So I definitely recommend checking that out if you have allergies or you have chronic sinus problems. Check out xylitol spray. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts. Today. I, I, I can't get off podcasts on this episode. Um, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which is The Memory Palace. Now, The Memory Palace is... It's weird. It's a little hard to describe. Um, but it's basically a podcast uh, with historical stories. Um, Nate DeMeo is the, the guy, and he tells these really wonderful 
you know, relatively short, 10 to 20 minute stories uh, of history. The latest episode was about Elijah Otis, who most people would credit with inventing the elevator, even though that's not true. So most of the time when you step into an office building and you go into an elevator, it usually says Otis on the floor. Mr. Otis did not invent the elevator. He invented something else, and I'll get to that in a second. What I liked about Mr. Otis was that he came from a family of farmers uh, in the early 1800s, but he didn't want to do hard work. He didn't like it. He didn't want to do anything that would require him selling things or moving things or building things. He didn't want to do any heavy work. So I, I don't think he was lazy necessarily, but I definitely think he wanted to do less. And obviously that piqued my interest. So in his first real job, he was working at a furniture uh, factory where they were doing kind of sanding of very fine designs and intricate curves. Uh, so I, when I heard that, I thought that that sounded pretty laborious, but apparently it wasn't very hard work. Even so, he immediately set out to try to figure out a way to automate and optimize that process. And he did develop a way of doing that. He quickly became manager of that factory. And in that factory, they had what at the time was a typical elevator, which was a wooden platform with a rope over a pulley that was pulled by a horse from the first floor up to the second floor. And one day, that platform broke from the second floor with hundreds of pounds of lumber and equipment tumbling down and landing on top of a fellow worker. Now, as terrifying as that sounds, apparently it wasn't the most uncommon thing at the time. A horse is pulling a rope and the rope could break and heavy stuff could fall. It was just the way it was. Three years later, uh, Elijah was at the first World's Fair in America demonstrating an elevator, and he was three stories up on a platform, and uh, his son took a sword and cut the rope. And all the audience gasped because they thought he was going to fall to his death because this was a very different situation. He was on the third floor, or he was three stories up, rather, 30 feet up. From, t from the second story, most people figured you could fall, you might break a leg, but from the third story, he could actually really die. When the rope was cut, Mr. Otis's actual invention came to light, which was the elevator brake that would stop the car from falling and hurting the interior passengers. So he invented the brake for the elevator. Uh, anyway, I just found that kind of fascinating, but most importantly was that his sort of desire and drive came out of doing less, not walking upstairs. Why walk upstairs if you didn't have to? If something could carry you up the stairs, why sand something by hand if you could figure out another way to do it? It's innovation at its best. And then the last two things I just want to mention are a couple services that I've been playing around with recently. One of them is Meetings.io. And Meetings.io is about the most versatile video conferencing thing I've ever seen. It's web-based. No one has to install anything. You can get a link to a chat or to a video conference room. You can embed that entire room on your own website, or you can have a button to go to that. You can invite friends, share files, uh, text, exchange text messages. Uh, but it just makes it really easy. If you're a consultant or you just have family somewhere and you want to make it really easy to have video conferencing through the web, 
you got to check out meetings.io. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is forecast.io. I like that IO is now the new kind of cool domain name. Uh, so forecast.io is a weather forecast website, but it is broken down into a level of granularity like I have never seen before. I opened it up this afternoon, and it said, in about five minutes, it's going to rain. And about seven minutes after that, it's going to stop. And I swear to you, that is exactly what happened. It was mind-blowing. It is hyper-local and hyper-accurate to the minute. So I'm looking right now at New York, New York, or actually my zip code, and it's supposed to, it, it's supposed to be partly cloudy for the next hour and 27 minutes, and then it's going to clear up. Uh, I mean, it's kind of amazing, and I'm not exactly sure how they're getting such incredible levels of data, but if you need to plan something really well and really specifically, I definitely recommend checking out forecast.io. So that's it for this podcast from me. Uh, I know that I covered a lot more than I usually do, but I just had all these notes that I wanted to get out on a recording. So I hope you find some of that useful and enjoy. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking with Curtis Frank of examine.com. Hi, Curtis. Hello. Uh, so thanks for uh, for taking the time to talk to me today. Can you start off by just telling people what Examine.com is? Examine.com is basically a supplement database for scientific research. Every we'll have we'll try to get every supplement on the website eventually, and just collate as much information on the supplement as possible. Then we get into evaluating the supplements for whatever purposes they're touted for, or if they show efficacy for anything. Basically, we just get as much information as possible and then analyze the research accordingly. We do so as much as possible from an unbiased perspective since we're not affiliated with any companies. It's an independent organization at this moment in time. And uh, so what got you interested in, in creating this, this analysis in the database? Uh, when the offer was proposed to me for my business partner, Saul Orwell, Basically, it was both I could research and put it somewhere online so I can actually get back to my old research some point in the future. And at the same point in time, I could share my research with the world sort of thing. Uh, I, You know how universities have sort of restricted access to scientific literature? I'm not the biggest fan of that, and so I kind of want to share as much information as possible. So... The idea of having a huge database that's open to the public that I can just put all the information on was very enticing to me. And ever since I got the offer, I've just been working for Examine basically full-time. Oh, wow. Okay, great. So, and, and your background is in applied human nutrition, right? Uh, yes, I'm a dietitian. Well, I can't call myself that. I haven't paid the college. But, yes, I'm basically dietetic. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> And uh, I also saw in your in your background that you were a recreational bodybuilder and powerlifter. So, that, you know, I, I'm assuming that you've tried a number of supplements throughout your your life. Yes, definitely. So, I guess the my my first question, with, as far as supplements go, is: Do you have a any any were there any big surprises that have come up in your research? You know, as far as what a supplement could benefit or what supplement might benefit a certain issue, like what, what was like a real big shocker that you come across? 
Uh, spirulina. By far spirulina. Wow. Okay. Um, and in terms of yeah. what? Because spirulina is touted to be a vegan source of vitamin B12 and a complete protein source. It, that's very boring of a description. And so I started researching and thinking this is just going to be some hippie crap. Like, I don't know what's going to be good about it. Turns out that there's a protein fragment in spirulina that looks similar to bile acids. They can inhibit an enzyme called NADPH oxidase, which is basically vital in producing oxidation in the body. And because of that, spirulina seems to have very potent antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects. In animal models, at least, um, there's a toxin called MPTP, which induces Parkinson's in or Parkinson's-like effects. And spirulina has actually abolished it, meaning like wow. uh, toxin control with spirulina at a very feasible dosage at around like five grams or so a day, just cured all the symptoms. And it's weird. And also, uh, the, there's some individual case studies as well as they're at evidence saying that spirulina is a very potent, uh, liver fat reducing agent. And like, it's just a very good, it's on the evidence right now, anti-metabolic syndrome aid, but there is a lack of human evidence. And given the potency of it, I was a bit shocked at that because I've never heard of it being used for such good reasons before. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of amazing. I, I had no idea either. Uh, so you said five grams. I mean, is that considered, like, an effective dosage? And should people just mix it into a smoothie, or is there a better amount or a way to take it? Um, I've only seen three to five grams being used, but I don't know if that's the optimal amount or not. Okay. Especially uh, especially with the mechanism in place, if you overdose on it, it could potentially suppress the immune system. So I'm kind of hesitant on going above the three to five grams right now. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, so now something that's sort of personal to me that I, I – I'm a big fan of krill oil. Um, so how do you how do you see krill oil and you know comparing it to fish oil or, or other sort of anti-inflammatory uh, insulin regulating substances? What what do you think of krill oil? I like it, but I fear that it's very limited like from a public standpoint because the extra benefits that krill oil has are not met by like the price. There's a greater markup on krill oil than you would expect. So I don't tend to recommend krill oil to people just because it's much more expensive than fish oil. And the extra price is not, well, it's too much to warrant the extra benefit. Like the benefit is there, it's just not as much as I'd like. I see. Well, one of the reasons that I particularly have became interested in krill oil is for its ability to reduce C-reactive protein, which is, you know, an inflammatory marker in the body that's particularly sort of prevalent with Crohn's. Do, do you... Are there substances that you think are more effective at reducing C-reactive protein? Uh, there's a lot of compounds that do reduce it a little bit, but I'm not sure to what degree. Uh, I'm sure, uh, like, if you go on to examine and you click on, like, if you go to a table, let's say spirulina, if that has one human study on C-reactive protein, you should be able to bring up a metal list for all compounds that have looked into C-reactive protein. There are some potent ones, and I believe that the anti-inflammatory, 
curcumin, I think, might actually be a bit better than uh, krill oil. Oh, okay. Like curry extract? Uh, curry extract? That just seems to have general anti-inflammatory effects, and they're actually to a decent degree. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's also an easy one for people to sort of implement to their diet, so that's kind of cool. Uh, then uh, there's, there's two other particular biomarkers that I know are very interesting to people, and that's testosterone and vitamin D. So uh, I actually had a lot of clients recently asking me about uh, sort of artificial or androgynous testosterone-boosting compounds, and I know that there's probably lots of natural ways to do it that you've discovered. Uh, yeah. The problem is that a lot of these compounds have been validated in animals, but not humans yet. Usually, uh, when a herb looks promising in animals, the supplement industry jumps on it and then gives it to people before human testing, and that tends to spur the human testing. But there's a lot of compounds that are sort of stuck in limbo right now. So, are, so are there any particular ones that stand out to you, or, or is it not even worth mentioning at this point? Uh, probably deaspartic acid. Okay. Like, it sticks out to me right now because... Sorry? Is that, like, from asparagus? Uh, no. Uh, there's an amino acid called aspartate. And, like all amino acids, it can exist in a D or L isomer. And this is just the isolated D isomer. It turns out that in the body, deaspartic acid naturally regulates a lot of, I guess, mechanisms related to testosterone. And when you ingest more deaspartic acid, you get an increase in testosterone, luteinizing hormone, fertility as well. Uh, the human evidence is preliminary, but it's just the idea that it's an endogenous compound that does occur in the body is somewhat regulated. And it just, it has a lot of parallels with L-tyrosine, in my opinion, because they're both sort of neurotransmitter substrates that are, like, supplemented before the rate limit, and unless you just overdose, unlikely to have too much side effects. Okay. Uh, and then uh, and then I was asking about vitamin D as well. So you know, vitamin D, you know, can help with inflammation and immunity and, and uh, melatonin, if you, you know, it's inversely related to melatonin. Are there ways that you can improve your, you know, your absorptions of vitamin D, or, or, or just what are your thoughts on vitamin D? I haven't really come across any ways to improve vitamin status aside from just taking vitamin D or being exposed to sunlight. Uh, like, I do like the vitamin, but I just have some vitamin D daily, like 3,000 IUs. Uh, the only significant thought I'd have that might be interesting is vitamin D has had a huge surge in popularity over the last decade or so. But uh, vitamin K, that's very intimately related with vitamin D on hormonal and bone metabolism, mostly. Vitamin K does not have a lot of respect. And I feel that vitamin K is probably going to be a lot, well, it's going to be researched a fair bit in the near future just because of its synergisms with vitamin D and because just because of the popularity of vitamin D. But, but if also, what are the, goes what, to what, what well, the highest... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm just saying that because those two work well together, uh, it would probably be the first place I'd look for supplement synergisms. Okay. And, and uh, I mean, the the foods that are the, the highest of vitamin K, for instance, are, I'm trying, I'm actually at a loss. What, what are the best food sources for vitamin K? 
I believe that's uh, dark leafy green vegetables. So not uh, so much like, like lettuce. Yes, like kale especially. That's the one that's always talked about. Kale, spinach, not so much lettuce since it's lighter green. Uh, I think it might also be present in some of the low-calorie tuber vegetables, like beets, turnips, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay. Um, so now you do cover, you know, nutritional aspects on examine.com also. And, you know, obviously the, the difference between a supplement and a food sometimes can, can be a very blurry line. So what kind of diet do you typically follow? Uh, a large amount of my diet actually consists of eggs and olives. Okay. Uh, and like, cause eggs, they give me my protein, my fatty acids and I've been sort of interested in the idea of having more dietary cholesterol for the purpose of muscle building. Uh, like, that's just always enamored me because HDL is negatively correlated with muscle protein synthesis. So there has to be a role for cholesterol. And yeah, there's a role for cholesterol in increasing muscle mass. So I'm testing it out right now. And olives are in there mainly because I have a bad history of when I start eating, I can't stop eating. So I need to have sort of like little tricks in place to prevent me from eating more. And the pungency of olives is a really good one to sort of finish off the meal as a palate cleanser sort of thing. So aside from just putting a nice finishing touch on the diet, it actually does keep my calories in check. That's an excellent and then beyond that, just, That's a really amazing tip because I have that exact same problem. I can just, if there's food on the table, I can just eat until I'm basically sick. Um, and I love olives, but I never think of having them as a finisher to the meal. Any, any particular kind of olives? Uh, I just use uh, common olives, the ones without pits. Uh, the most pungent one I can find would probably be best. <laughs> so how many do you typically get through to finish the meal? Just three or so, until, like, uh-huh. every other taste is removed from my mouth. Like, that's the whole purpose of it. I don't want an aftertaste left in my mouth from the meal, because then that aftertaste would entice me to eat more. The pungency is great at removing all aftertaste. That and black tea. Oh, okay. That's, that's a very, well, very black, interesting tip. I like that. Yeah, because black tea is bitter, but it's not bitter enough to make you not want to drink it. Uh, well, so on that note, do, do you drink coffee? Uh, no, I do not. I've just never acquired the taste for it. Okay. Well, so then that sort of made me think of uh, nootropics also. Do you, have you covered many nootropics on, or, you know, for, you know mind-enhancing drugs on the, uh, the uh, unexamined.com? Uh, we're covering them at the same rate as other supplements. We do have a fair bit in the database right now, but not all of them. Have you come across any interesting results with nootropics? Uh, Bacopomonieri, probably. Uh, and what is, I'm sorry, I never heard of that one. What is this? Uh, it's an Ayurvedic herb. Like, it's a little disgusting-tasting swamp plant. Uh, it's just called Bacopa, for short. And it's most interesting because it does have quite a bit of human evidence behind it right now. I can think of at least eight different trials, all over 100-person sample size. And it takes about four weeks to work, but it very reliably and generally increases memory, like working memory, by reducing the rate of forgetting acutely. And that's all it really does. Like, it just aids working memory a little bit, but is very reliable and 
has been tested in all demographics. It works in young, healthy adults, older persons as well. Such reliability with neurotopics is incredibly rare. Right, and there's, I mean, I'm assuming that, I mean, with, with testing neurotropics, there's so many variables to begin with, but, uh, in Ayurvedic medicine, or Ayurvedic principles are very interesting as well. I didn't know that they would uh, affect things such as memory, though. That's quite fascinating. So, it, can you take it as a supplement, or is there, is there some kind of gross way that you need to ingest this? Uh, you can take it as a supplement. I've only seen powders and tablets. Um, I have a powder right now. I would not advise that. <laughs> and the tablets, as long as you swallow them fast, it's fine. Okay. So, and have you tested it yourself, the back of it? Yes, it's actually my supplement, like armamentarium, if I can do it. Uh, and it's probably one of my favorite compounds to take. So, okay, so that sort of leads to my, my sort of last question on supplements for you is what are the, you know, and you've already mentioned now Bacopa and spirulina is really important ones, but what are the, what are three supplements that you think everybody should take? Oh, everybody should take? I know that's a hard one, but, you know, sort of the, the general person who's, you know, doesn't have a specific health issue or is not particularly old or particularly young, but, you know, what is that the three that people should really take? Because either because they can't get them naturally from food or just because they're important. Vitamin D, because no one is outside that much. Well, very little people are outside that much, so vitamin D is just a huge one to take. Magnesium, because although you could potentially get it from foods, that's very impractical, and the vast majority of people I've met do not have the diets catered to have adequate magnesium intakes, and creatine. Oh, now why creatine? Uh, it's just an awesome molecule. <laughs> like, it's, it, it just makes cells have more energy, and secondary to having more energy, the cells are able to do more things. What are these more things? It depends on the cell type. In neurons, if the creatine levels get higher, then the neuron is able to survive more, I guess, toxic or damaging incels before it dies, which results in a neuroprotective effect. In muscle cells, you're able to lift more. Uh, some of the neural influences can also have a power-boosting output. does increase muscle mass. No real effect on fat mass. No real effect adverse effect on the kidneys because it, for a very short time, suppresses endogenous creatine synthesis. Uh, that actually frees up some methylation processes in the body and is actually a healthy effect. And if you stop creatine, uh, creatine synthesis goes back up in like a day or two. So there's really no downside. Like creatine is just has a very good safety buffer to it, has a plethora of benefits, is very cheap and has been very well researched and just doesn't have side effects aside from maybe water weight gain. But usually that's localized in the muscle mass and looks good. Hmm. Okay. Great. Well, so those are those are really wonderful bits of information. Um, now, back to you personally for sort of my last question that I always like to ask in these interviews is what would you say are your top three personal productivity tips? And it can be supplements, it could be methods of work, whatever it is. The three things that make you more effective in what you do. Uh, the first one would just be sort of knowing your own cognitive outset and supplementing accordingly. Because a lot of neurotropic compounds aren't inherently per se good. They're good given a certain context. 
such as Pinax, ginseng, and rhodiola rosea are two of my favorite compounds. They're anti-fatigue agents. They're kind of useless unless you have fatigue, but they're great if you do have fatigue. And they're my favorite compounds because I get fatigued very fast. So because of that, those compounds work for me. Uh, some other people who may fall asleep all the time, like if they're not narcoleptic, they have medicinal at that time, those people would benefit from caffeine. People who are too stimulated all the time and cannot keep their attention would benefit from L-theanine. So for productivity, it just you need to know what your cognitive outset is, find neurotropics that work for you, and then keep them in your routine. Uh, beyond that, the other two productivity tips I have, uh, one is a versatile gym schedule. Basically, I don't go to the gym at a set time every day, like not 11 a.m. every day, not 5 p.m. every day. I go there once I can't think straight anymore. Just research until a certain point, and if you cannot grasp any concept, you're going to be useless for researching for the next hour or so. So then go to the gym at that time. And then the last one is just sort of having a idea of delayed gratification. Purposely restrict rewards for yourself until you meet a certain goal. Like that, it works great, but it's just really hard to self-enforce, and a lot of people forget about enforcing some manner of delayed gratification once they don't need to. You know, I really like that last one because it, it sort of brings to mind this primal need to hunt you know, so it, where the hunt before the the goal, the uh, the reward eventually, if you were good and lucky, was food, uh, and we can still do that where we can delay things, you know, and you have to hunt for it in some ways. So I, I very much agree with that last one. I, well, all of them were great, but that last one really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. So, um, Curtis, thank you so much. This is this has really been amazingly informative, and I really appreciate your time talking to us. So, for people to find out more information, what's the, the website? Examine.com. Examine.com. Great. Well, Curtis, thank you again, and uh, all the best.